Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Today we are joined by our guest host, filmmaker Heather Lenz, best known for directing and producing the Sundance documentary Kusama Infinity. Our special guests today are Joe Pickett and Ben Steinbauer. Ben is an award-winning film director. His feature documentary, Winnebago Man, was described by Michael Moore as one of the funniest documentaries ever made. His new documentary feature, Chop and Steel, premiered at Tribeca. Joe Pickett is a writer, director, comedian, and the co-creator of the Found Footage Festival. He's featured in the Chop and Steel documentary along with his friend and fellow comedian, Nick Brewer. Nick and Joe pranked morning TV shows by posing as part of a fake strongman duo. One appearance resulted in a federal lawsuit that Fast Company magazine called the dumbest First Amendment battle of the year. Thank you so much, Claire, for the lovely introduction, and thank you so much, Ben and Joe, for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, our pleasure. Ben, for anyone who hasn't seen Chop and Steel yet, could you please tell us in your own words what it's about? Sure. Well, that was a great summation uh, at at the top of the show there. And uh, basically the way I like to describe it is that it's sort of the I love you man of documentaries. It's a story of Nick and Joe, who are two lifelong friends and touring comedians. They do a comedy show together. And in the midst of traveling around and promoting their comedy show, they did a lot of morning news segments. And they soon realized that the morning news hosts were not paying careful attention to who they are or what they were there to talk about. And really just to pass the time and make themselves laugh, they started to see what they could get away with on these morning news shows. And it escalated and escalated and escalated to the point that they were inventing fictional characters who they were then getting booked on these news shows, um, such as like a yo-yo expert uh, who was going to uh, teach kids about the environment with his yo-yo. And then he would arrive at the news station and have absolutely no idea how to yo-yo at all. And the jokes became um, about the news people reacting to these inept characters that they would create. And the movie really starts um, when they are sued in federal court by a media conglomerate that owns one of the small market stations that they prank. And um, the story takes off from there. Well, thank you so much for explaining that. And Joe, could you please talk a little bit about who Kenny... Strasser was and how Kenny's yes. experience influenced um, how you thought the strongman prank, um, the strongman being Chop and Steel, how you thought that prank would go that you were doing with Nick. Yeah, so, okay, so we came up with the ben, ben explained it pretty well, but we, uh, we realized it was very easy to get on these morning news shows. And so uh, we wrote up 
we would write up press releases, at, you know, trying to pitch our show, Found Footage Festival, and we uh, it was we, we'd always get on, but then we're like, you know what? What if what if we wrote up a fake press release for a fake person and tried to get that person booked? And we did it. We wrote up a press release for this guy named Kenny Strasser, who was a uh, yo-yo expert. And he uh, traveled around the country to schools, teaching kids about the environment with his yo-yo. Didn't make any sense at all. But we got booked on, we got like a dozen offers to, you know, come on, come on to these morning news shows. Like, um, and so, uh, yeah, that was then that we realized, man, this is, this is really easy to do. And so the thing that we learned from watching or from, from the Kenny Strasser thing was just how easy it was. And we used to go to great lengths. Like we would get, we would get on a, we'd make like fake blogs to try and get them on. And we'd, uh, you know, we'd, we'd mock up pictures. But by the end, by the time we got to Chop and Steal, we realized we didn't need to do any of that stuff. You know, it was actually very easy to get on these morning news shows. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, what we learned from Kenny. And could you talk about um, Kenny, the, the actor who was playing him, or your friend, comedian, who was playing Kenny, and how his career um, was changed from this role? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, our buddy Mark, so me, Nick, and Mark, we all went to school at the University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire. And, uh, you know, we always did dumb comedy projects. We had a humor newspaper. And uh, we, uh, let's see, I think I was living in Milwaukee at the time, and we wrote up this press release, and, and we were surprised that these news stations wanted to have Kenny Strasser on. So uh, so Mark, I think, was – I don't know what he was doing at the time. He didn't – I don't know. He was, I don't know what he was doing, but I said, hey, do you want to be the yo-yo expert? And Mark, of course, has no idea how to yo-yo at all. And he's like, yes, I'll do it. So uh, we got him on seven morning news shows, and, um, yeah, and then I think on the seventh one, the – it blew up online. It went viral. And they, the, the show The Office, I knew somebody from The Office at the time, and she saw it. She thought it was hilarious. And she's like, hey, that guy Kenny Strasser is pretty funny. Who is he? And I introduced him. And then he got on The Office. And then from there, his career really exploded. He got on um, What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, he's on the Better Call Saul, Portlandia. And, uh, yeah, and so his, his career really took off. From uh, from Kenny Strasser. That's pretty incredible. So I can see how you would think that your strongman Frank, um, you know, might go in a certain direction, but instead, alas, uh, you ended up facing a lawsuit. And I wonder, you know, if you could talk a little bit about what it was like to to be in those circumstances for such a silly prank. Yeah, well, I mean, that wasn't really the reason. It wasn't like we wanted to be escalated into fame. I think that's a big reason that people get confused with these morning news pranks that we did is, like, it was never intended to, like, get famous from them. It was more of a thing to entertain ourselves to, you know, to, 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 to make each other laugh, really. And I think people were confused. Like, are they trying to sell something? Or what, what, what's going on with these, these pranks? And... Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, uh, what was the question? <laughs> what, was, what was the? Uh, oh well, well and, really, what was can, it like can, to be facing? What was it like to be facing can, a lawsuit for doing such a silly prank? Oh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's that terrible feeling of of knowing that you're in trouble for something. It's a feeling I haven't felt for a really long time since maybe like high school with like the principal's office kind of a thing. It's this, it's this weird but like, scary <laughs> feeling. Um, 
But can I jump time, in? Can I like... jump in on, on on this answer actually? Because this is part of the reason why I thought it was so fascinating and worthy of a film. Um, because that that is what is so lovable and relatable, I think, about Nick and Joe as comedians. Um, there's been a lot of films like Sasha Baron Cohen's work and the Yes Men documentaries that are about people doing these very high-profile pranks um, to make a political point. And I love those movies, and I am a huge fan. And actually, the Yes Men are in our documentary um, and they uh, are big fans of Nick and Joe. But one of the things that I was so drawn to in this film is that they were such an interesting um, lens to view the First Amendment through because they weren't making a political point. This was pure um, comedy for comedy's sake. And it's not mean-spirited, and it's um, lacking any type of political agenda. And so for me, it was actually kind of the most potent form of satire in that way, where it was like just really trying to inject some absurdity into this very formal, serious format of the morning news. Well, that is helpful. And yeah, I agree. It's certainly just funny based on what we see. And um, Ben, could you walk us through the steps of how you got started making this documentary? Like, you know, what were the first things that you, you did as you, uh, as you started the film? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I've known Nick and Joe uh, since making Winnebago Man. They're actually in um, the the documentary, and they play a, a pivotal role in the climactic scene of Winnebago Man. And we've been friends ever since, and I'm a huge fan of theirs, and have been following their career. And so when they started doing these news pranks, I was a huge fan and thought that there was something there and wanted to film them pulling them off and it kind of just never really materialized um, until they got sued and at that point it was very clear that there was a really engaging story here and so I can't remember I think maybe Joe called me first um, but uh, either way we basically right away were like we need to be filming this this is this is really incredible and so um, I flew to New York and we started doing interviews to capture this sort of moment of crisis for the found footage festival without any real idea of where uh, the story was going to go. Yeah. I think when I reached out to you, Ben, it was like, there were like five things happening at once. Like we got asked to be on America's got talent. We were getting sued and we were in the middle of this, uh, this, this messy lawsuit and, and like our, our company was crumbling and there's a million things. I, and I call, I remember calling you up and being like, Hey, do you want to follow us to the camera? And you're like, I'll be right there. So a week later, you were there with the camera. So absolutely, and that was uh, that was part of what was the most challenging about about making this film was that, similar to my previous documentary and a lot of other uh, projects that I've worked on, I I really am drawn to stories that are unfolding in the present. Um, I love the uh, experience as a viewer of of um, going on a ride with the film and the filmmaker. And so I always look in, in my projects for an unfolding modern-day story. And this was, was that in spades, uh, because as Joe mentioned, this really funny coincidence was happening where their latest prank, Chop and Steal, where they posed as fake strongmen and then went on and did these sort of absurdist acts uh, 
of strength that were, <laughs> were not at all impressive acts of strength. Um, they talked in the press release uh, that they sent to these stations about being on America's Got Talent, and it was completely made up. And when they got sued, America's Got Talent read the press that they received from the lawsuit and invited Chop and Steel to actually be on America's Got Talent. And so as Joe mentioned, that was happening at the same time the lawsuit was filed and they were getting all this press and going on lots of um, TV shows. They were being talked about on The Voice. And it was this sort of chaotic time, but because they were all of a sudden getting all of this national attention, it was a really interesting moment to then uh, go and capture. And that's, that's a huge, it's kind of the midpoint of the film actually is when they go on America's Got Talent and um, what they decide to do um, on that show. Yeah, that's a pretty wild story about America's Got Talent. And um, Ben, from a production standpoint, could you talk about the most challenging part of making this film? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the the most challenging part was just the unpredictability of it and not knowing um, what the ending was going to be. And at first, because they were in the middle of a lawsuit and the idea was that they were going to keep – um, doing these stunts on local morning news shows that I assumed, as did the guys, that they were going to get sued again. And um, so I think it was kind of a double whammy of like not understanding exactly where it was going, but also bracing for possible legal action against me too. So if, if you film something that you know is, um, possibly not a crime. Crime sounds too harsh, but if, if I, if they were going to get sued, I was also going to get sued if I was filming it. And so from a production standpoint, we had to sort of build a firewall around the film and make sure that that wasn't part of our production company. And, um, all of that was very tricky. Uh, and it actually made funding the project, um, also very complicated. And I know that that's kind of the, the uh, focus of your show here. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about that part too, but it was from a production standpoint, those things were pretty high hurdles for us to clear. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about how the film was funded. I think especially um, indie filmmakers are always, you know, that's always such a tough obstacle. And, you know, another thing, this was obviously at least parts of it filmed during COVID based on, you know, what you see in the film. And, and in addition, you had the challenge of filming at America's Got Talent. And just to clarify, were they, um, were there any like notices up or anything saying like, you know, you, the audience can't film at this event? I'm curious about that. Yes. Well, um, there are definitely those notices up. Um, we what we did is we had our our uh, DP who is also a, a great director in his own right, uh, who works with us at my production company, um, basically go as their assistant, and so he was capturing footage that was going to be used for the strongman chop and steals, um, basically like press kit, and so. Um, they talked to the producers and basically the producers were like, it's okay if you can 
film a little bit of the prep backstage. And because of that, we were able to sort of get around the, um, the, the no filming policy. So we, we actually, it's, it's kind of amazing how much uh, Priest is his name was able to capture of the actual day behind the scenes at America's Got Talent. And then also the actual performance, uh, which didn't end up making the show. Yeah, it was like Jedi mind tricks. Seriously, like Priest could just like wave a hand and get backstage. It was like I've never seen anything like it before. The, the man's a magician. But yeah. <laughs> he's also like the he sticks out in a crowd more than anyone I've ever met. He, uh, he sort of looks like He-Man, um, and and he's always dressed pretty flamboyantly. So the idea that he was able to covertly do a lot of filming is. Uh, is extra remarkable. Well, it sounds like he, he um, yeah, he'll have a lot of career opportunities if he's able to secretly film things as you've described. Um, Joe, for you, what was the most challenging part of making this film? Oh, I mean, the whole thing, really. I mean, it's just, I, I've been behind the camera for a documentary. I directed a, a documentary called Dirty Country uh, in 2007. And so I know, like, the challenges of getting the, the subject to be on and to, you know, be happy. But, like, what I learned from being in front of the camera was just, like, you, you have to live your life, but then you also have this extra step of having a camera around you, answering questions, you know, kind of being on. You have to, you know, if there's a camera on me, I know that I have to be on and I have to. So there's that extra level. It's, it's like living life with ankle weights on, basically. Um, but I, I, I mean, I always joke, but I think it's kind of true that this documentary took five years off my life. Like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty conflict averse person. Like I'm pretty good at avoiding conflict, but most of the conflict in my life was in this documentary. And so, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to die a little bit earlier, but it's, you know, it's the years at the end. So um, those, well, then the my, my the work here, then my work here is done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Joe, what do you think makes humor effective at tackling tough topics? Uh, well, I don't know. I think I think like um, I'm Midwestern. I'm born and raised in Wisconsin, and uh, I, I think the way that we deal with any sort of tragedy or anything dark or scary uh, is by laughing at it. And uh, I think I think a lot of people, not just Midwesterners, do that. But that's how we, that's how I was brought up to cope with things. If you can laugh at it, you you know, it empowers you. It makes you feel stronger than the thing you're scared of. And uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, empowering. Well, that's a good answer. So documentaries often cover somber topics in serious ways. Um, but some of the content in this film seems like almost what we would expect to see in a mockumentary. So, um, Joe, I'm wondering if you have any favorite mockumentaries you would like to share with the audience. Right now, I think documentary now is doing the best stuff. I mean, like, they're more of a mockumentary of <clears throat> the form of documentaries. And uh, nobody's really done that yet. You know, people have mocked, you know, pop music and metal music and, you know, dog shows. and But nobody's really mocked the form of documentaries. And documentary now, you can tell, I think Bill Hader's the mastermind behind it. You can tell he's a documentary buff because he's 
spoofing Maisel Brothers. He's spoofing. He's spoofing every niche documentary, and I think uh, I think he's doing the best stuff right now. Interesting. Have you seen um, David Holzman's Diary? No, I haven't. It's it's a it's quite an old um, uh, mockumentary, but it mocks cinema verite. So might want to check that one out too. It also oh, makes fun of documentary filmmakers. Yeah. And um, Ben, do you have any favorite mockumentaries you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Spinal Tap is the touchstone, but I, I think right now Nathan Fielder is doing the most interesting sort of documentary critique and hybrid uh, documentary form, like, um, you know, the, his his show The Rehearsal um, and then his show right now that's a narrative, it's, it's called The Curse. It's basically about these well-meaning people trying to make a, a reality show uh, and it going horribly wrong. And then he executive produced how to with John Wilson, which is an incredible, it's not a mockumentary that's more straight up doc, but he's really pushing and sort of um, critiquing the form in all these really radical ways that feel totally new. Um, But I I did just want to say, you know, as somebody who for whatever reason has always made comic themed documentaries or, or comedic documentaries. I, um, I, I think there's a tendency for people to think that when you're telling serious stories that they have to be, or, or sorry, when you're telling factual stories that they have to be serious. And the type of nonfiction work that I'm always drawn to um, has a lot of comedy in it. You know, I mean, it, just think about like the stories that you tell your friends at a dinner party. You know, they're not like serious, heavy, somber stories. They're they're funny, and they they often have a punchline, or they have like this really funny coincidence that happens, and you can't believe it. And you know, they're I think life is not as serious and heavy as most documentaries portray it to be. And so, I've always been attracted to more of to more stories that combine the humor and the heart. And my favorite films are the ones that make you laugh for 70 minutes and cry for five and then laugh again for the last five. That's my absolute favorite ride to go on. And there's a lot of precedence for those types of films. You know, I mentioned Spinal Tap, but American Movie, which is probably like the the touchstone for comedic documentaries and uh, King of Kong and Anvil, the story of Anvil, and uh, more recently Finders Keepers or something like Becoming Bond or The Pez Outlaw. Like there's there's kind of this this movement in nonfiction filmmaking to make more comedic work, and um, and that's I, I'm a big advocate of that. And Michael Moore really got behind Winnebago Man for that same reason, and he was very insistent that like documentaries can have a strong point of view and also tell a very touching story while also being really funny. And um, it's that levity that I, I think we could use more of in the world. Yeah. And I think we could all uh, enjoy watching more um, documentaries with a sense of humor. So, yeah. And um, Ben, do you have a favorite part of the Chop and Steel um, film, like a favorite scene or something that you want to share? Uh, <laughs> there's so many uh, 
really funny ones. Um, I'm trying to think about how to best keep it G-rated for your show. Um, yeah, you don't want to spoil too much. There's, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite. Yeah, go ahead. It's, yeah. it's tough. Well, yeah. I was I was going to bring up either the driver's license or Nick's dog. Um, and just for maybe the sake of how to best talk about it, I'll talk about the driver's licenses instead. <laughs> but as a as an example of like how playful Nick and Joe are in their in their day to day life, they um, they treat getting their photo taken for their driver's license uh, whenever you need to do that every four years as a major event, as this opportunity for for like silliness and joy and performance and they create characters just like they do for the morning show pranks uh, so that they can go and get their pictures taken on their driver's license. And there's a montage where they're describing and showing their old driver's licenses and their current ones. And you get to see all these characters (laughs) that they've posed as throughout the years. And it is just, people are just, just roaring with laughter in the theater. Yeah, that's a great part of the film. It actually reminded me of something that happened in high school for me, which is, um, you know, back in the day, we had those photographers come once a year to take our, our school photo. And I was standing in line and a guy in front of me who didn't wear glasses right before the photo, he borrowed his friends like gigantic, very thick glasses, put them on, pulled his turtleneck up in some like really dorky way and they snapped a photo and it was in the yearbook just like that so yeah oh i love it i tip my hat to that guy yeah yeah i I actually have a a, i have another uh, driver's license coming up in april and i think what i'm going to do is i have a friend who's a makeup artist i'm going to have her attach horns to my forehead and say that they've been surgically implanted and then uh, I, I want to get those, like, contact lenses that white out your eyes, but I think you might have to do an eye test when you go to the DMV, so I might not be able to do that. But then I also want to black out my teeth to make them look really sharp. Um, so that's, that, that's the plan, uh, not to spoil anything. But, yeah, next April, 2024, look for that. Well, I'm sure TSA is going to hate you, Joe. Wait, what? <laughs> I said say? TSA is going to oh, hate you. TSA already hates me. Oh, boy. Yeah, it, it's very difficult. They always have to call over a supervisor. It's never fun. <laughs> but I'm sure the people at the DMV enjoy it because uh, that doesn't seem like the most exciting job in the universe. And, um, Joe, do you have a favorite part of the documentary that you think you're able to talk about without it being a spoiler? Yeah, well, I think generally every scene with my wife in it, she really is just – she's super funny. I mean, she's, she's a comedy writer, and uh, but just in the documentary, just her responses to my stuff. At one point, I, I prank her. Um, not, not really prank her. I make a phone call knowing that it's going to upset her uh, in a fun way. Um, and uh, her response to that makes me laugh every time. Also, there's this – so when we go on America's Got Talent, we do a thing. I don't want to say what it is. Uh, I'll let it be a surprise in the documentary, but we had a plan for like the ultimate prank on America's Got Talent. And we finished that prank and it's a prank that's really hard to defend. But my dad makes an attempt to defend me uh, to my mom. My mom is like, hey, he did the stupid thing. And my dad, for whatever reason, great. I I love my dad. Great dad. But he's trying to defend the stupid thing I did. And he's really, really trying hard. 
And just to see him attempt that makes me laugh every time. Well, I'm glad you brought up um, your wife, and we should give a shout-out to her because, yeah, she is funny in the film. And um, I think at one point she says you could be a cult leader for the way you kind of like get people on board to do ridiculous things. So, yes, yeah. I'm flattered by that. Yes. Maybe I should. I don't know. Would you guys join my cult? Uh, think about does it. part of it involve, like, ridiculous um, uh, photos for our, um, our IDs? <laughs> yes, of course. That's your initiation. Yeah. Okay. okay. We'll then I, I'm in. I'm in. I don't know about you, Heather, uh-huh. but I'm, I'm convinced. Yeah. That's all okay. I need. I'm in. I'm in. Maybe we all can right. get Claire too. Okay. Great. All right. We meet Tuesday afternoons at the Starbucks. Again. Yeah. Okay. And we'll have to go to like a wig store or something. Um, yeah. 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 Ben, Ben, do you have um, any advice you'd like to offer to first-time filmmakers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I used to teach a, an intro to film class at the University of Texas, and um, I would always, um, you know, my students would come to me and ask me advice about, you know, how to get started as a director. And um, I would often give them the advice that I was given early on. I, I wrote to a lot of my favorite filmmakers when I was in college, back when you couldn't just kind of quickly find somebody online. I actually had to find their addresses and wrote them letters. And one of the guys I wrote to was Ross McElwee, who's um, one of the godfathers of comedic documentaries. He made this incredible film called Sherman's March. And he responded and basically said um, to focus on things that are in your life. And to, uh, he quoted uh, Wordsworth, which is a very Ross McElwee thing to do because he's a a uh, very intellectual guy, but I think the quote was something along the lines of like that uh, edge of meaning never lies far from personal experience. And what he was, I think, implying was that your your life and what you are doing and who you are in the world is the thing that you have to offer as an artist. So tell stories based around what you know. And that's kind of always how I've looked for subjects and been attracted to things. And, um, and then I also add that, you know, making films of any kind and particularly documentaries is very hard and it takes a long time. Like Chopping Steel took almost four years. And so you have to make films about subjects and with people that you want to spend that amount of time focusing on and, and with. And so if you use those two uh, yardsticks, then um, you'll, I think that's the best way to find uh, subjects for your films. Well, that's great advice. And Joe, um, also, you know, as a director yourself, do you have any advice for first-time filmmakers? Yeah. Well, I mean, my whole thing is, is you got to outlaw you're not, there's not a lot of money to be made in the world of documentary films, especially at the beginning. So you have to be willing to go into it with uh, knowing that you're going to be broke for a while. And I always just tell people, like, you got to be willing to sleep on couches. you got to be willing to um, um, eat, you know, crappy food for a while to, to, to get these projects done. you got to make a lot of personal sacrifices financially and just, like, generally, like, comfortably in order, like, if you find a great subject. I mean, that's that's what I did when I moved to New York. I remember finding a piece of 
skis on the ground. It was like fell off one of those like fresh direct bus, you know, boxes, you know, <laughs> that they deliver. It was like wrapped. It, you know, it was wrapped. It wasn't like a piece of cheese just on the ground. It was wrapped up. But I remember finding it on the ground when I was working on my documentary and being like, oh, right, I can eat for the next couple of days. Uh, I don't have to spend money on, you know, whatever. So, like, I don't know. You have to be willing to, to make a lot of sacrifices, especially early on. So, yes, Heather, just are... to recap, I, I, I just want to say, so you should look, so you should follow Wordsworth advice, and then you should also look for cheese on the ground. So yeah, eat, that's, eat ground the, that's, cheese. The my, that's the name of my autobiography, <laughs> Look for Cheese on the Ground. <laughs> this is great advice. I'm sure a lot of people want to become documentary filmmakers after hearing this. Um, and, um, yeah. And Ben, I guess we mentioned at the top of the show that Chopin still premiered at um, Tribeca. And I wonder if you have anything you'd like to say about that. And also, um, where can people see the film now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the film was acquired by Draft House Films, which for me, I, I live in Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, the, draft, the Alamo Draft House is um, one of our uh, crown jewels down here. And so that just felt like a perfect fit. And uh, Nick and Joe have a great relationship with Tim League, who founded the Draft House. And it was a really, really great partner for us. So um, the film's available on every platform that where people can uh, watch films. You, know, you can rent it through iTunes and all the regular uh, subjects. We did a, a theatrical run in the spring, um, and uh, we're doing these kind of like one-off specialty shows where Nick and Joe perform after um, select screenings. So we are still doing uh, those occasionally. So check. Um, we have a social media. Uh, Feed, of course, and check that for um, those listings. And then um, to talk about Tribeca, the experience of, of premiering it in, at Tribeca in front of a crowd was absolutely wonderful. Um, Joe and Nick are based in New York, and so a lot of their friends and family came out. Um, we had Bobcat Goldthwait join us on the red carpet uh, to be there for the premiere, which was really cool, and that got us a lot of publicity. Um, our our friends and uh, financiers on this project, Wavelength, are based in New York, and they came out and supported the film. So it was uh, a very triumphant um, premiere and, and launch for, for our, our little indie movie that could yeah, for well, me, the, 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 the craziest part of Tribeca was looking over and seeing my mom chatting with Bobcat Goldthwait, who, like, you know, I remember watching him in the police academy when I was, like, 10 years old, and now he's talking to my mom on a red carpet. It was just, it was like watching, it was like living a weird dream. <laughs> well, it sounds like it was a fun weird dream, so I'm glad you yeah. had that experience. Yeah, some of the good and, um, ones, yeah. And Joe, I know you're working on another documentary, and I wonder, sometimes people don't want to talk about these things on air, but I wonder if there's anything you would like to share about that. Oh, yeah. No, I'll definitely talk about it. Like, so while we were shooting Chop and Steel, Ben and I were talking. So I had, I'm from Wisconsin, and uh, right out of high school, I was obsessed with The Onion, the newspaper The Onion. And uh, I, I – delivered for them and then I wanted to work my way up to writer and I got on the writing staff. This is like in the mid nineties or so. And uh, I've always done, he's always been a part of my life. I worked for him in 2007. Again, I still contribute headlines and 
Ben and I were talking about the onion and about how it's this mysterious entity that a lot of people don't know about. You know, they don't have bylines, and, uh, but they have this really cool, interesting history. And we were like, why hasn't there been a documentary done about the onion? And so we're like, let's dive in. So I, you know, I, I know some people, I know the editor in chief there and I reached out to him and, and so uh, for the last few years, we've been in pre-production on a documentary about the onion. Well, I'm sure that's going to be um, another fun documentary for people to watch. Ben, did you want to add anything about that? Um, well, yes. We so as J- Joe summed that up perfectly. We uh, it, similar to how I found my other projects. This came in, you know, through me talking to a friend about something that we love and being like, we should make that movie. So I'm thrilled that Joe and I are yet again working on another project. It seems like Joe's touched a lot of my films from Winnebago Man, Now to Chop and Steal, and, uh, and Now the Onion. So this will be uh, our third film to, to basically work on together. Um, and then in addition to that, I just show ran uh, a show for Jimmy Kimmel's company um, that's going to be, <coughs> excuse me, that's going to be on Hulu in, um, in April. And then I'm working with them on another show uh, that is about a notorious uh, stage hypnotist turned con man named Dr. Dante. I've got a cool. you, couple of things I'm juggling. Do you want to tell us about the name of that show that's going to be on, the one you worked on with Jimmy Kimmel? Absolutely, yeah. It's called High Hopes, and it's uh, um, a comedic uh, reality show that is, it's basically like the real life Parks and Rec, but set in a cannabis dispensary that's located on Hollywood Boulevard. All right. Well, there you go. That's quite a uh, sort of log line. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll all have to well, and, and, and just to just to just to follow up on that, the interesting thing about. Um, I live in Austin, Texas. I have a production company and make films and, and commercials here with um, my best friend, Ferent from grad school, who is also a co-director on Chop and Steel. And um, I met uh, Jimmy Kimmel's company and the people who, who run it, and they almost got involved with Chop and Steel for a short time, but they had this um, project that they were working on with Hulu and they didn't know everybody that they were bringing in to make this project wasn't finding the comedy. And so when I met them, they were like, we want somebody that is going to basically come at this from a different angle and make, you know, who knows how to make documentaries comedic. And so it was this really great fit where they had this great idea and they just needed somebody to come in and basically help find the funny and craft the story and, um, Knock on wood, they're going to release it on 420, which is appropriate for stoners, for <laughs> stoner national holiday. And uh, I, I think people are really going to like it. And it's called High Hopes, and it's going to be on Hulu. Great. Well, I can't wait to see it. Um, Joe, for anyone who's interested in learning more about Chop and Steel and also following your career, can you please share the relevant social media handles and websites? Yeah, I mean, the the show that I'm working on right now is the Found Footage Festival. It's uh, We're entering our 20th year of touring, me and uh, my buddy Nick, who he's the other, he, he's a steel of Chop and Steel. 
Um, yeah, we're on tour showing off our favorite and latest, greatest VHS finds. We have an office in Brooklyn, New York, uh, with 13,000 VHS tapes. No doubles at all, just all, yeah, 13, over 13,000. And, uh, yeah, we're on tour right now. And foundfootagefest.com, you can find out about our tour. We're doing a bunch of cities coming up here. Um, yeah, you can find our Twitter, all our Instagram stuff. TikTok, all that stuff. And we do a Tuesday night show called VCR Party. Uh, we're, we're trying to watch every single one of our 13,000 VHS tapes, and we're about, I think, 28% of the way there. And so Tuesday nights on YouTube, 9 p.m. Eastern time, uh, you can watch that. So, yeah, lots of pots cooking. And, and what's the website for the Chop and Steel documentary? I think it's chopandsteel.com, isn't it, Ben? That's something I should know the I, answer to, but uh, shopandsteel dot com. That's right. Yep. And Joe, you it, are correct. Personal website. Mm-hmm. S P E E L E. Thanks for clarifying that. And um, Joe, what's your personal website? Um, I don't. Do I have a personal website? <laughs> I don't think I do. Okay. I, I can give well, you one he, of those. Yeah. Yeah, you, you should do that. Do you know the yeah. website? Yeah, I'll work on that today. Footage? Do you know the um, Do you know the um, website for the for the Found Footage Festival? Yeah, FoundFootageFest dot com, and then all all my stuff's there. You can contact me there. Okay, great, can, great. You can find all you know, the stuff. Chop and steel, and all that. I also wanted to ask you um, about your headshot that you submitted for this podcast. <laughs> can you tell us about oh, that? Which Which one did I submit? I have a lot of headshots. It has uh, a cat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Am I shirtless in it? Yes, yes. Yes, that's right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's my boy Munch. That's my – I'm a big fan of orange cats, and I have two oranges. I have a, a Munch and Twinkie, and, uh, um, yeah, I'm a huge – I mean, they're showbiz cats. You can, you can tell. Like, if you think about it, like Garfield, Heathcliff, Morris the cat, I would say most of the TV cats that you see are orange cats, so – He's very photogenic. He loves the camera. And, uh, yeah, we snapped that photo of us on a hot summer's day in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and he snuggled up next to me, and he had this cool expression on his face. So, yeah, can we? Can the viewers see that at all? Is there any way that the viewers well, can see that? Well, they'll be able to see it when they go to the From the Heart website and, um, you know, look at the show. They'll oh, see go. the photos. And so, yes, yeah, it's the see. first shirt. It's the first shirtless headshot I've ever seen, so uh, kudos to you for that. <laughs> I think it will help people get an idea of what your, um, you know, license ID photos might look like as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Ben, do you um, also have any websites or social media handles you would like to share? Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, so Chop and Steel Movie is our Instagram handle for the film. Uh, Chopandsteel.com is the website. And um, then my production company is called The Bear, which is T-H-E-B-A-R, like the animal. Uh, and our website is thebear.us. And uh, our Instagram handle is the same, thebear.us. And you can keep up with um, all of our projects and all that I'm doing on those channels. Great. And then are and, uh, your are your headshots shirted or shirtless? <laughs> well, I've up until this point only taken shirted headshots, but you've really inspired me, Joe. You pushed me in a new direction, and I'm reconsidering <laughs> cheese I find on the ground and um, also taking <laughs> my my shirt off. 
for, for photos for, for future headshots. Consider de-shirting. <laughs> yeah. Heather, I feel like we've, yeah, Heather, I feel like we've learned a lot here today. Yes, I think everyone's learned a lot. I do just want to clarify for our audience again that the steel in Chop and Steel is S-T-E-E-L-E. And also at the website, is it, do you spell out the word and or is it the and symbol? Thank you. Yes, I you spell it out. So, so okay. It's yeah. spelled out, yeah. C-H-O-P-A-N-D-S-T-E-E-L-E. Yep. Okay. And I do want to give a final um, shout out to Nick Pruer, who's featured in the film but didn't join us today. And I also want to ask, is there anything else either of you want to add before we sign off? Well, I just want to say that that filmmaking, especially independent filmmaking, uh, and in particular documentary filmmaking, is such a team sport. And that even though Joe and I are here speaking on behalf of the film, there was an army of people who helped us make this. So uh, my co-director, Barrett Mater, um, I mentioned Wavelength, our um, our collaborators who helped finance some of it. Uh, Russell Wayne Groves is an executive producer. Alex McKenzie is our lead editor who really cracked the code on the story structure. Um, Priest Batten, who is our ninja who could film covertly at America's Got Talent and worked tirelessly. And then also I wanted to recognize, we, we have a lot of comedians in the film. We have uh, David Cross and Reggie Watts and um, Howie Mandel and Kurt Brownoller and lots of like really talented people who gave us their time for free. And that is invaluable to um, people like me and Joe who are, who are working hard and spending our own money to tell these stories. And so I just want to publicly thank our team and the people who um, collaborated with us on this film. Well, thank you. It's always good to acknowledge, um, yes, the team behind these films. It is it is quite extensive. So I want to um, thank Claire again for the introduction, and I want to thank both of you for being here with us today. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Cool. Thanks so much Thanks. for having us. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.